0: Daniel Hartman Show. It is yours truly, coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is Wednesday, August the 28th. We are um, starting off at our new time, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Today, a few minutes behind, having uh, some technical difficulties uh, here in the studio. But uh, we are up and running Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, Last night was the final of the U.S. Open Cup, and um, that took place between Atlanta United and Minnesota United, and um, the United to come together together. And in their uniting of coming together, they played a match in where one United beat the other United, and that was Atlanta United beating Minnesota United 2-1. to And if you set your DVRs last night to watch the match, um, you'll be a a little disappointed because it was not on television. For the first time in years, the U.S. Open Cup was not on TV the only way you could watch it was on ESPN plus their five dollar a month paid streaming service uh, you could watch it there but uh, not on television um, I thought that was a little interesting to say the least uh, when, when you have um, you know a final, you would think that the Federation would be trying to do everything in its power to get its signature tournament on television. It had been on television for a long time. This year, it disappears. Um, Curious. Very curious. And, you know, when you have um, Major League Soccer in charge of the federation, these are the kind of head-scratching decisions that you get because this is a tournament that uh, basically welcomes in everyone uh, if you're an amateur club all the way up. Now, granted, the way the rules are written, they favor Major League Soccer. Um uh, to To not only win the tournament, but to to dominate the tournament, it's it's almost uh, everyone gets to play until MLS gets in, and then when MLS gets in, okay, let's get the rest of the teams out. Let's finish it out with MLS. That's the approach the federation has taken. And part of that approach is because of, of the control and influence that Major League Soccer has over the Federation. And you, you see Soccer United Marketing get involved with the U.S. Open Cup. And the first thing that Soccer United Marketing does, while in charge of the television rights for the U.S. Open Cup, they bury the final on ESPN+. Plus. So um, if, you, if you were hoping... To watch that, oh well. Um, another thing that is, is as a head-scratcher about the U.S. Open Cup, when you see finals around the world, most finals, not all, but most finals are on a weekend, a Saturday or a Sunday. The Federation put the U.S. Open Cup final on a Tuesday night. I mean, if we're going to wait and have the U.S. Open Cup final the last week of August, why not do it on Monday? Make Labor Day U.S. Open Cup final day. Or Labor Day weekend. There are so many head-scratching decisions when it comes to Major League Soccer and when it comes to the U.S. Soccer Federation. It's as if they don't want this game to get popular to grow beyond what they want it to do where they want it to go how they want it to play out and so when you look at decisions like this where you put a final on a tuesday what are you doing that's just crazy to me absolutely crazy to me um one thing that was on the broadcast last night, and I'm, I'm going to pull this up here on on my phone. Uh, Taylor Twellman um, came at, out at halftime with you know his thoughts on you know what uh, improvements, what changes he would like to see to the 2020 U.S. Open Cup. The first thing he he, he suggested was that MLS teams enter one round earlier if They miss the playoffs. So, in other words, what he's saying is, is like, look, if if your franchise can't figure out how to get one of the plethora of playoff spots, then you enter the U.S. Open Cup one round earlier. In In other words, punish teams for not making the playoffs. Fine. I mean, I hear you. It is what it is to me that isn't the fact that we're having playoffs and no promotion and relegation. I mean, I really, I think that should be where the conversation is, but whatever. Uh, the second thing he said is MLS teams play their first game of the tournament on the road. Now this is, is very similar to something that Eric Winalda talked about during the 2018 US soccer presidential election. It's something that we talked about as a as a campaign, uh, in a campaign team, was changes we would make to the US Open Cup. And one of the things we talked about was copying or or taking inspiration from the German cup model. And that is this. The higher seed always plays away. The higher seed always plays away. So if um, MLS, Los Angeles, Galaxy enter in the fourth round, let's say, and they're playing against um, New Mexico United of the USL, they travel to New Mexico. There's no coin toss. There's no bidding. Major League Soccer goes on the road. If Las Vegas Lights of the USL are playing Cal FC, they're traveling to California to play Cal FC. An amateur side. So it's a very straightforward, I mean, y- there's no guessing here. The beauty of that, the beauty of that is similar to something else uh, that, that that I'll get back to in just a second with the national teams. The beauty of that system is you're bringing the game down into the grassroots. You're bringing the, the higher levels of the game, whether that's MLS, USL, whatever, the way that they're sanctioned right now, you're bringing those teams into places that is going to bring excitement to the game. Right now, MLS teams don't care about the U.S. Open Cup. Most of them don't even play in their home stadium when they play their matches. They'll play their U.S. Open Cup matches in auxiliary stadiums, high school stadiums, college stadiums. They don't even play in their own stadiums. They don't prioritize it. They don't even try to sell tickets. So this idea that we should be giving them, you know, preferential treatment and hosting rights, it's just silly. They don't, they don't treat it like they want to host it. So in these rounds, follow the German model and send all of them away to the lower seed. What that's also going to do is, is lower the costs for these smaller teams. If you are a, a small amateur side and you are in the U.S. Open Cup and you and you try to win in advance, it is likely going to cost you as much or more than your entire annual budget just to, to participate in the Open Cup. Now, if the higher-seeded teams were traveling to you, that would significantly lower your operating burden it would significantly lower the risks that these clubs would have to take there are a lot of teams that 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 bow out of the u.s open cup before it ever begins for that reason alone so if, if the federation is serious about growing the game and about making the game the priority, then I think that's that's something that we should look at. I think it's something that we should be uh, prioritizing is how do we get more teams playing? How do we lower the operating costs? How do we make this uh, a big deal? I guarantee you if if you send an MLS team to a place that doesn't have a professional team or doesn't have an MLS team at all, you're going to get a lot better participation in terms of spectators, tickets sold, etc. for that one match than you're going to get if you let them play at home. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Um, Another thing that Taylor talked about was no more regionalization and... Eliminating the coin toss for hosting the final. Uh, We don't have a national stadium. England has a national stadium. Spain does not have a national stadium. So there are a lot of places that don't have a quote unquote national stadium. There are a lot that do. We are one of those countries that does not have a national stadium so because we don't have a national stadium, that means that the, the stadium hosting the final or any big final is going to vary. I mean, we just, we don't have one. And when when you don't have a, a final, uh, stadium that's pre-selected, you know, this like, like in England, you know, that you're going to play your final in Wembley, whether that's the FA cup. Whether that's the Carabao Cup, um, whether that is the Community Shield, you're going to play your final in Wembley Stadium. In America, we don't have that. So I think in that case, um, how do you, how do you set that? What do you do to set that? I actually think that's some, some area that you could create, um, Bidding to host the final. You could have cities present uh, bids to host the finals and, um, you know, and, and, and go that route. If I was the federation, what I would look to do is have the U.S. Open Cup final in cities that don't have access to the top. Now, to do that, To take that on, to make that decision requires a change in worldview, a change in worldview that would shift from exclusion to inclusion. Right now, the Federation is co-opted by Major League Soccer and they have a mentality of exclusion. We're going to do what we want to do that we feel is best for us, not for everyone, but for us we see this in decision after decision whether those are you know national team gm positions sporting directors let's get everything set up we know that everyone doesn't want jay burhalter to be the ceo of us soccer so let's put some things in place so when we put him as ceo of us soccer that we can make the claim that there are no conflicts of interest we can do this we can do that there is this insular insular um, mentality and exclusionary mentality within U S soccer that would prevent them from embracing this idea. But much like the, the higher seats traveling to the away away seats because that, that to the lower seats, because that will grow the game. It will. I mean, let's take it out of soccer for a second. Let's, and let's put it in American football. If you had the university of Alabama, what's going to travel, to play a small school in Texas. That small school in Texas, they know they're going to get their eyes beat in, but they're showing up. There's not going to be an open seat in that stadium. Everyone is going to want to watch the Crimson Tide come to town. That is is what's going to happen if an MLS is traveling, if a USL team, a USL championship team were to travel to play AFC mobile, a GCPL Gulf coast, premier league team. If, if, if a USL team, let's say Memphis was going to come into mobile and play against AFC mobile, that place would be packed. It would be the game of the year in Mobile, Alabama. So that mentality that says we want to grow the game, this is what is important to us. We want to grow the game. If that is indeed the case, these are decisions that you would likely make. Let's send our higher seeds on the road and... Let's bring the final to places that don't have access to the top. Let's put the U.S. Open Cup final in West Virginia. Let's put the Open Cup final in East Tennessee, in Mississippi. Let's put the Open Cup final in New Mexico. And watch what these cities, watch what these clubs, watch what these state associations and others are going to do. They're going to make this their Super Bowl. It's going to be their biggest thing on the calendar. And they, they're going to want to make it huge. So that shift in mentality, though, is required in order for... The, the Federation to truly embrace its vision, its mission, at least the one that's on paper, not the one they actually live out, but the one on paper says to make soccer the preeminent sport in America. If you want to make the preeminent, if you want to make soccer the preeminent sport in America, then, then you should be. Changing your worldview to be about growth, to be about access, to be about opportunity, about bringing the tournament into markets that don't get exposure. Take LAFC or Atlanta United and take them into Arkansas. See what happens. It's going to be a tournament different than, than what we see now. Right now, it is something that, that teams are f- literally forced to play in. It is in the U.S. soccer bylaws that if you are professionally sanctioned as a team in one of these professionally sanctioned leagues, Division one, two or three, which right now has four leagues. Major League Soccer, Division One, USL Championship, Division two, and then in Division three, you have USL League One and NISA. If you are in one of those four leagues that comprise the three divisions, you are required to play in the U.S. Open Cup. It is mandatory. And these teams treat it as such. They, they, they treat it like when when your kids you tell them to clean the room like oh my gosh oh my gosh I gotta clean my room oh, That's how these teams play. We gotta do the open cup Oh let's go throw them in this stadium over here. Oh gosh I hate this tournament. And that's how these teams treat it. But if you were to put those teams away on the road in cities and in markets and in states that don't have access and opportunity, I promise you, it's going to change the outlook of the tournament. It's going to change the excitement around the tournament. And it's going to require a change in the mentality of the federation. I don't know that change can happen under the current leadership. It may change a. Uh, it may require a change in leadership uh, personnel in order to get a change in leadership philosophy to get there, because there are a lot of people within the athlete council, within the upper board levels of the federation that just are not that concerned with making soccer the preeminent sport in America. They give lip service to it. They talk about the game and they they act like they want to grow the game, but that's that's like you know you, you put a plant in a pot and it requires water and you stand there with a pitcher of water in your hand, but you don't actually pour it in the pot, but you talk about how important it is to grow that plant. I mean, we've got to do everything in our power to grow that plant. we got to make it happen. Here's what we got to do. And we got to, we got to get excited about water in the plant. You know, that's what we got to do to grow the game. We got to get excited about water in the plant. We got to get excited about Get in the in the sunshine so it can grow. We gotta get excited about that. Meanwhile, the water's in your hand. We know the plant needs water. You don't pour the water in. You just talk about it. You just stand there. You go on television, talking about growing the game. Oh, isn't this exciting? Watching that plant grow. It's not growing. You didn't give it water. It's dying. And that's what we see, numbers, television numbers, streaming numbers, all falling. We're choking the life out of the game because of the, the global worldview of U.S. soccer, which has been infiltrated by Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing. And that includes the Athlete Council. They have been infiltrated by Soccer United Marketing in the athlete, in the Athlete Council. If you look at the number of people on television or have gotten television gigs since the 2018 election, as opposed to before it, it's alarming. That's all controlled and influenced by Soccer United Marketing. So they all have the pitcher of water in their hand to water the plant, but a lot of them aren't aren't pouring the water on the plant. They are giving lip service to that while they're getting paid. They're getting their own access and opportunity. And I don't blame them for wanting a job, wanting a career, wanting to, to make something in the, in the sport and have a living after their playing days are over. That's fine. Do it at the same time that you're helping the game because in the end, it's going to make more opportunities for you to grow and thrive. If the audience numbers go up, you're going to get paid more anyway. If you have more cities with more access and opportunity, that's going to be more opportunities for you to work. It just, it just blows my mind how so many people in this country don't truly take the 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 opportunity to exercise the power that they've been given to grow the game to bring access and opportunity to more communities it's just crazy to me and um you know i i just i want to see some changes with this tournament um you know, this year, they're, they've been streaming a lot of the games on ESPN+, Plus, including the final, which should have been on a ESPN2 or something. But we've got to do more than that. We've got to take it to the next level. One of the things that we haven't even touched on in going through last night's U.S. Open Cup final and, and Taylor's recommendations for change is another big one. That is, that is not even included. And that has to do with the fact that we do not even have a women's Open Cup. It doesn't exist. We're not talking about not having equal prize money. We're talking about we don't even have a tournament. So when we look at access and opportunity and growing the game, that's another big area. Taking higher-seeded teams on the road, taking um, the final and have it played in, in cities and in states and in communities that don't have access to the top. And the other one that's a big one is to open up and have a women's edition of the Open Cup. We should be growing the game making it more accessible, giving more opportunity. So when we look at all of this, we have to keep that in mind. We don't even have a Women's Open Cup. A tournament that should be the greatest domestic tournament we have every year celebrating the game, watching amateur teams knock off amateur teams for the right to finally get to play against a pro team, maybe multiple pro teams. And we don't even have that opportunity on the women's side of the game. It's crazy. So there are so many things that the Federation could be doing that I think they should be doing. And uh, I hope that... uh, At some point soon, whether that is a change in leadership personnel or a change in leadership mentality, that we change our worldview and start to think about uh, how we can look at growing the game by taking real action, not forming a committee, not giving lip service to it, not literally standing over a plant with water, Talking about the need to make it grow without pouring the water on the plant. Actually, doing it. Um, that is what needs to happen. Our sponsor this half hour is Ductig Brand. Learn more about them at duktigbrand.com and use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. They are the makers of really cool soccer products, notebooks, etc. Uh, if you're a parent, player, coach, check them out at ducticbrand.com. We'll be right back after. Show. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday, August the 28th. Again, reminder that we are kicking off on the new start time, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're getting up on the West Coast and you're watching this live, man, kudos to you. Uh, you can go back and watch these episodes on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash W R K M N W R K M um, N new start time working on some new things, some new projects, and uh, we were excited to, to make this shift as we prepare for things coming up, new segments, uh, etc. So uh, thanks for joining the show this Wednesday as we are into the third day of our fall season. Uh, it wasn't intentional. We, uh, we had some major technical difficulties that we talked about earlier this week while we were in Europe uh, on our, our tour ended up having to shut down the entire tour from a show perspective. We were able to capture some content uh, with some cameras um, phones. I mean, we were, we were trying to get anything and everything done we, that. We possibly could while we were there. Um, but it was a, uh, it was a, a situation that we were um, not, not, not hoping for to be to be honest with you um and uh we ended up shipping back uh most of our gear uh that was uh a day in and of itself we were in Copenhagen um had been in uh Europe for about a week and after my gear blew up um made the call to to pack it all up or or the majority of it up into a giant case to send back to the U S and um, we go to do that. I called ahead, found a place that, that handled FedEx where I could ship some things back. And um, so we go on a little adventure and we, we get there by bus. So we, we take a bus. We, I, just to to give you a little bit of background about me i I love mass transit I love biking I love walking I really don't like driving not because I'm scared of cars I have a car I drive I just rather not right I'd rather ride a bike I'd rather walk or use mass transit and that's one thing one of the things I love about being in Europe is that most of the cities you can get around without a car and so we were getting around without Uh, a car had this giant suitcase. It weighed like probably 70 something pounds. I mean, it was heavy and um, the suitcase was, was struggling to, to handle the weight, get it on a bus. We get over there, we get off at this FedEx location there in, in Copenhagen to ship back all of this gear. And we get inside and I'm, I'm talking, with the uh, the person in uh in the in the FedEx store about you know the cost and timelines and how long it would take to ship and uh, trying to make sure it was going to get back safely et cetera and right in the middle of all that my wife freaks out she's like I don't have my phone I don't have my phone and I'm like what do you mean you don't have your phone she's like I'm pretty sure I had my phone and now I don't have my phone I'm like Is it at the? Is it at the townhouse? We were we were staying in a in a townhouse and company, and I was like, "Is is it at the townhouse?" She's like, "I'm pretty sure I had it in my pocket." I'm like, "How do you get off a bus and not know that you had your phone?" I'm sorry, I I I can't. And, And so we get the suitcase shipped back and. Get all that gear going back. I already had an audio console go up and spoke. And now my wife's phone is, you know, riding around on a, on a bus somewhere in Copenhagen. And to make matters worse, she didn't even have find my iPhone turned on. So then I'm having to go and figure out tricks of ways to trick the phone and to let me know where she her phone was located through family sharing and a bunch of other things through Apple technologies. We were able to figure out a way after over an hour to track down where her phone was. And we go on this journey. I mean, this is like a three, four hour journey, tracking this freaking phone down all over Copenhagen. And, and we end up going to this, you know, commercial business park area outside of, of the city center to the side of the city I'd never been to. And it, it was like the suburbs. I mean, it was not, there was no like city, there was no walking there. Right. I mean, this was like got to get in a taxi The I don't even know that the bus routes um, would get us there. We'd have to take a bus and then walk. I mean, it was like out of the way. And uh, fortunately, uh, my tech skills and navigation skills uh, paid off, and we were able to track down that phone. It was crazy. That was the trip. I mean, it was just that it was that kind of trip this summer. Audio co- console goes up in smoke. My wife leaves her phone on a bus. We have to go track it down. I mean, it was it was a very enjoyable trip. Uh, you know, and uh, if you would like us to plan your European vacation, just let us know. Um, but uh, it, it, seriously, it was it was a great trip. But we just had a lot of issues, and uh, this morning we've been dealing with some issues. As well, uh, unrelated issues, but issues nonetheless. And while we were there um, in, in Denmark, we were able to get up to FC Helsingor. And that is a club bought by an American a few months ago, Jordan Gardner and uh, he has a, a, a team there uh, of guys that he's brought in that are helping oversee the operations at the club. One of those is Matt Barnes. We had uh, on the show a few months ago. I was able to interview him, and we're going we're gonna to show his interview in the next uh, few days uh, that we we had with him, but uh, we also had the opportunity to interview some of his players, and I, I want to show you one of those interviews here. Um, this is a Canadian player. He was in the Toronto FC Academy. We had a chance to talk to him about his experience so far and, and his experience growing up. His name is Kimbo Kibato. And uh, so uh, look forward to sharing this with you. Um, one of the, the things that we've been dealing with this morning with, with the technical difficulties is we had uh, a machine uh, crash, which had uh, a, a bunch of these interviews that were already edited and such. So this is going to be the raw footage. So Straight from the source um, of of our interview with Kimbo Kibato, and uh, we look forward to sharing you the full kind of mini doc ed, uh, edited version um, in, in the in in the weeks to come. But um, it was a great great chat, great conversation, and to give you a little heads up, this interview was shot on. My phone, because this was another one of those uh, technical issues that we had while we were there. I literally dropped the lens of my camera and had to go replace it, and uh, there was no camera shop that uh, I could get to in Helsinger on a Sunday afternoon and so I had to shoot end up shooting this on my phone so I apologize for any um, audio or, or video uh, challenges that you have in watching or listening to this interview but uh, it was a really good chat with Kimbo and really appreciate him spending time with us um, and, and as, as well. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is our interview with Kimbo Kibato.
1: Kimbo, can you uh, in- introduce yourself and kind of tell us uh, where you're from? Uh, my name is Kimbo Kibato. I'm, two, I'm uh, 18. I'm born in 2000. I'm from Toronto in Canada. And I used to play for Toronto FC. So you grew up in Canada,
0: um, a land known for hockey. Yeah. But uh, more and more, we're starting to see some footballers come out of there. Uh, Alfonso Davies. Yeah. Um, made it to Europe. Uh, at what age did you decide, number one, that football is a sport for you? And number two, uh, when did you aspire to? Journey into Europe to try to uh, to make a make a go
1: of yourself here in Europe uh, I Think it was just uh, Well, i basically from a young age like seven ten to seven to ten I knew I was I this is what I love to do and I enjoyed playing soccer and Just coming to Europe was in the last, you know last two years I wanted to see how far I could push my push my abilities and see where it could take me and that's why how I, how I ended up here now, as
0: a player, you were, were pushing yourself as far as you could go domestically, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying yeah. to, to take every opportunity you could. Compare what you experienced in Canada, in Toronto,
1: versus what you're seeing over here. Uh, the main difference, I think, is the physicality and the, techni- and the technique. Like, I feel like uh, back home, the the pace and the strength and the speed of the players is very fast, whereas here you have a lot more. Uh, a lot of the players are very technical and they're good with their feet and they know how they understand the game. They're able to move the ball and stuff like that, and that makes the speed of the play much faster. Whereas back home, it's the physical side of the of the play that's a lot a lot harder.
0: Now, when when you're in a a training environment back in Canada, uh, how would you compare that? To a training environment like you're experiencing uh, here in Europe with FC Helsingborg, uh,
1: a lot, a lot the same. I think the main, the main difference is, you know, you have here uh, everyone, you know, they're, they're all technical players. Everyone wants to, everyone wants to push further. Back home, it's a lot of, it's, 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 it's like that as well. It's just a little bit more. It's just a little bit different side, of type of play, style of play, more physical.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, a moment ago that uh, the, the Canadian players that you that you were training yeah. with sometimes rely a little bit more on physicality versus technique or tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe the speed of play difference when you have a team that is focused more on technique and tactical and positioning versus the speed of play from from players who may may, may physically be faster mm-hmm. than the than than technical players, but the game is not necessarily as fast. Can you describe that difference?
1: Uh, sorry, can I? That yeah, sorry? so basically, like
0: the speed of play. Mm-hmm. When you're in Europe, you're you're noticing that the game, the ball is moving yeah. much faster. Yeah. But in in Canada, you talked about how the players may may be faster, yeah. and there's a
1: reliance on that mm-hmm. versus the <clears throat> ball being being faster. Well, I well I think that kind of just comes down to the the individual players on the team. Whereas back home, you might have a couple players who are you know technical and a couple players who are very fast, very strong, and those players like to use their their their, their physical strengths to help them to you know to help them play the game. Whereas here. Uh, the a majority of the team or the majority of the players are all technical so that together speeds up the play whereas back home you know so where it's not the whole group where it's some guys and some guys use their strength like use their strengths with, with being the speed and and their physical side of play now
0: as a player who are some players that you model your game after
1: uh, well my favorite player is Messi. I'm left I'm left-footed I, I try to be I, I I watch his videos, I try to be creative and that's what I like to do, I, I try to mimic that style of play. I also try and, I'm, I'm a midfielder too, so I look at guys like Pogba and Iniesta and see how they you know circulate the ball and create and, and stuff like that and go up and down box to box.
0: Now, as a, as a left-footed player, um, you mentioned Messi as, as an aspiration. In your midfield play, uh, being a left-footed player, uh, are there any midfielders that have stood out to you? Whether that's a ten or an eight or a six, uh, that you that you try to glean uh, some things from, or, or you just kind of
1: look at midfielders in general? Uh, I I take uh, kind of different uh, benefits of like different players. Like you know, like recently I've been I've been looking a lot at the young. And seeing how kind of elegant he is, how he comes out the back, how he, you know, he sees the whole game and the way he dribbles and drives out the back. So that's kind of, this that's just the most recent guy I've been kind of looking and watching to see how he plays. But it, it changes, changes a lot. Like as I said, I obviously watch Messi, and then sometimes I was looking at Pogba to see how can I, you know, go forward and come back. And now recently I've just been looking at the young and seeing how smooth he is and and that type. And I've been trying to add each of those pieces from different top headquarters to my game
0: now growing up in canada danish is not the uh the national language right (laughs) so uh, obviously canada known for english as well as french Mm -hmm. uh, not danish so coming to denmark and and joining us uh, uh, joining this club uh,
1: what what has been the transition for you from a language standpoint uh it hasn't been it hasn't been too bad honestly i thought it would be a lot a lot harder than it was i think it's because uh i heard here uh the the danish they have to learn i think english up to grade five so a lot of them understand it pretty well so you know training training is fine if the coach speaks in danish you know there's a almost all the players know how to to translate in english for me and you know the people are very nice and they're willing to do so so it's it's a very it's very nice very good environment on the field, have you had any difficulties communicating
0: with players uh, during during training or during uh, matches? Or have you found that uh, those communication challenges of different languages uh, have been smoothed over by the, uh, some of the Danish players' ability
1: to to speak English? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like first com- first coming, it was a little. Not a, not, just learning the names, and stuff, the, some of the pronunciation of the names and, and stuff like that was hard to get. But now, knowing the players and knowing their names, it's a lot easier to communicate with them and tell them where they have to be and stuff like that on the pitch. Now, you,
0: you grew up wanting, dreaming, hoping to get to Europe. You're here.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> where do you want to take from here? Where do you want to go from here as a player? Uh, I just want to... Keep pushing further right now my, my main goal is to get help get this team into the, the second division in, in denmark and the, the first division in denmark and hopefully to the super league in the next uh in the next two years or so three years uh, but right now I'm, I'm happy i'm happy where i'm at i'm really excited to keep pushing myself and i'm in a great environment to do so so i look forward to see where I, where i can go next Have you noticed a difference, and this is something we talk about
0: on on the show quite a bit, is is culture, environment, promotion, Mm -hmm. relegation, the ability for a club to move up and down, and the pressures, Mm -hmm. and the rewards that come from that. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed a difference in the intensity or focus of the players, as well as members of the club, when it comes to on-field success, you know, doing well, knowing that yeah. if you do well, you can go up. If you don't, you get punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way, you know, this, this club, FC uh was relegated uh, at the end of this past season in, in, their, in the third division in Denmark's, mm-hmm. uh, technically called the second, uh, yeah, division. second division. So uh, have you felt that
1: difference in training uh, as well as, as in the, the conversations uh, with other players? Of course, you know, we we know what happened last year. We, we all know what our goal is this year, and that's to move forward and come first place and get into the, the second division. And it, it, and you see it every day in training. That's all. Everyone's there to win, and we're trying to, and that's what we're going to look forward to doing this season. Well, good luck with this season. Thanks for joining yeah. the show. Okay, thank you. See you. Okay,
0: thank you. That was Kimbo that was- Kibato, really appreciate him coming on, uh, spending some time uh, with us while we were over in Denmark. We made our way up to uh, take in one of their friendlies, interview some of their players. Tomorrow we will have an interview with Jeremy Ruffinello, and uh, where he can, he, he he's an American player that also signed this summer. So you had Kimbo and Jeremy coming in. Uh, to the club, as uh, the club is uh, recently relegated down to the second division, which is technically the third division in Denmark. Uh, If if you're unaware with the league structure in Denmark, you have uh, Superliga is your first division. Uh, Your first division, as it's called, is actually their second division, and then their second division is actually their third division. I get it. It's a little bit confusing. Um, but, uh, you know, when you let the branding and marketing people get in, sometimes they don't get it right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that's the, the setup there in, in Denmark. And so FC Helsingor, uh, got relegated down to the second division, which is technically the third division in Denmark. And they are having a great start to their season looking, uh, to, to move back up. Uh, at the end of the season, back into the first division with getting uh, operations and everything built up to a place where they feel like they could get to the Superliga eventually a- and stay there. Um, the club made it to the Superliga a few years ago and uh, were, were, were not prepared. And they, and and this was pre Jordan Gardner uh, ownership of the club. And, um, and so when the club got there, they just weren't ready to really operate at that level. And they got relegated at the end of that one season in the Superliga. And everyone thought, well, they would just win and get right back up. And, and instead they got relegated again, uh, and the, the next season. So they went up to the Superliga, down to the first division, and then down to the second division. And they are looking to get back up, uh, at the end of this season. So best of luck to them. Thanks to Kimbo for coming on. Um, Look forward to checking back in with Kimbo uh, here in the near future uh, to to pick his brain uh, after after he's been with the club for a few months, getting through the season. Kind of check back in, see what he's what he's thinking and uh, how, how he's feeling in that process um, of you know becoming a player that uh, is in Europe. And that was a goal of his was to play in Europe. And now he's chasing that dream and seeing how far it'll take him. So best of luck to him. Uh, Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are changing lives and changing villages um, all around the world. And um, I I think um, it is admirable the work that they do and you can be a part of that story by going to charitywater.org we will be right back after this no one no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water
1: with bugs with algae, with disease in it bad water and a lack of toilets kills more
0: people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. Or you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink and we will continue fighting until that happens. back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, August the 28th. Thanks to Kimbo Kabato for uh, doing that interview with us while we were in Denmark this summer. And I apologize for some of the technical difficulties uh, we've been having today. I hope to have those sorted and uh, ironed out for tomorrow. We have Jeremy Raffanello, an interview we shot uh, that same day while we were in Helsinger. And... um, Get his insight at at what it was like to play um, in the Philadelphia Union Academy. Played a year at Penn State before heading off to Denmark to pursue his dreams and ambitions of playing professional soccer in Europe. So I look forward to sharing that interview with him tomorrow. Uh, Kind of the closing shot today, parting thought, is this... um, when we look at the landscape of American soccer, it is very easy to get frustrated and depressed and angry. Um, and, and there is plenty of blame to go around. We can get frustrated with the federation that just looking at the actions they take and the decisions they make don't hold the best interest of the sport at its, as its top priority. In regards to everyone, the priority obviously is Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing above everything else. But um, beyond that, everyone else is kind of scraps and leftovers. And there are all kinds of decisions. Recently, the, the Development Academy and their their changes and shifts with – which teams, which clubs are going to get access to the top level of the DA, regardless of merit and on-field and, and records. MLS is going to be treated differently than everyone else. This is par for the course. And and, and why some of these clubs are a surprise, I don't know. Because it's, we, we've been talking about it for a while. Others have been talking about it for a while. It is what it is. But my my parting thought for the day is this. No matter where you are, what level you are at, there are things that you can do to make your organization better. Even if the Federation had all of the rules in place and were enforcing them in a fair and equitable way, in the way that they should be doing as a Federation, you still have a responsibility with your organization to do things that the Federation is never going to do for you. Part of that is seen in some of the the recent news out of England with Bury FC as well as Bolton. Two clubs struggling with internal administration, internal operations. They've been run poorly, and we see the unfortunate results of that. That's not the system's fault. That's their fault internally. They didn't make good decisions. Now, is there blame to go around with the leagues and, and others? Sure. Everyone's got a little bit of responsibility in this, but ultimately in the case of being a club and a system that has access and opportunity, the ultimate responsibility is on the leadership That club leadership is what I'm talking about. And here in the U.S., there are so many organizations that are run poorly. Bad communication. Coaches don't know what's going on. That's not the Federation's fault. It's not the Federation's fault that you put too many kids on a team. It's not the Federation's fault that You don't fundraise. It's not the Federation's fault that you don't find a way to integrate everyone in your community. Those are on us. Those are things that we have to do. And everyone in that area, wherever you are, you could be in Wyoming, you could be in Colorado, you could be in Tennessee, West Virginia, Florida. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are, whatever club you are a part of, there's something we can all do. We can volunteer, we can, get, we, can, we can donate our time, we can pitch in, we can find ways to help. And sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we have to do some big thing. It may just be buying a tent for the team and putting it up at every match. But a little bit goes a long way. And if we all did that, if we all chipped in in that way, we could make our organizations better. And those are the kind of things that I'm talking about. The Federation is never going to be responsible for that. And as as poorly as they handle their decision making, and it does have adverse effects on clubs, there's no doubt about it, There are things we can do better to grow, to be sustainable, to do a better job. And those are the things that we have to take responsibility for. Control what we can control. And in our clubs, there are things that we can control. Just like what we're seeing with Bury and Bolton, there were things they could control and they didn't do them. And now these communities are suffering for it. Here in the U.S., administration, club administration, club leadership, organization, communication, they've all taken a back seat. They've not been prioritized. Too often, we we see those areas being neglected. Not made a priority or as high of a priority as soccer, as the on field things. But the truth is, the on field pieces improve when you take care of these off the field things. So, my hope is that we all take a look in the mirror and figure out a way for us to do what we do better, because all that does is put even more pressure on a federation that doesn't want to take care of everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate Kimbo spending some time with us while we were in Denmark. Look forward to being back tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch this show on facebook.com forward slash W R K M N. We will see everyone tomorrow.